So let us get uh, let us jump into our teaching for this morning. We are going to be in First Samuel chapter twenty three today. First Samuel chapter twenty three. We're going to be starting in verse thirteen, right in the middle of the chapter. If you're just joining us, you haven't been here with us in the past few weeks, then, uh, then we are, just to let you know, we're going through a series on the life of David. And so that's what we are in the middle of right now, looking at this period of David's life where he is, uh, he is in the wilderness. And so uh, that's where we're at here in 1 Samuel 23 today. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's all right, because we'll have the words up on the screens next to me, so you'll be able to follow along there. But like I said, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 23, starting verse 13. I'm going to read through 18, so right in the, just the middle section of that chapter there. All right, let's get started. So in 1 Samuel chapter 23, starting in verse 13, it says, So David and his men, numbering about 600, left Keilah at once and moved from place to place. When it was reported to Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he called off the expedition David then stayed in the wilderness strongholds in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. Saul searched for him every day, but God did not hand David over to him. David was in the wilderness of Ziph in Horesh when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horesh and encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, Don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it is true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. Afterward, David remained in Horesh while Jonathan went home. So, as I said before, this is the period of David's life where he is on the run in the wilderness. Uh, he was previously a general, and he was a, a, a top member uh, and, uh, and King Saul's cabinet, one of the top leaders in Israel. But as he grew in his fame, Saul being the tyrant that he was uh, and insecure in his power, started to see David as a threat to his own power. And so he started to uh, try to uh, make all these attempts at David's life, have him assassinated or even kill him himself with his own spear. And so David has to go on the run in the wilderness. He goes on the run of the wilderness. Some other men from Israel come and join with him as he's on the run. Uh, but this is a very desperate time in his life. Uh, he is literally running through the desert, as it says in the passage that we just read. He, they're, they're hiding in caves and strongholds, and they're going from place to place. And every time he's in one place and Saul finds out he's there, they have to pack up camp and move over to another one. Um, and so it, it's a very difficult, difficult time in David's life, going from being a hero in Israel, right, uh, a, a great warrior for Israel, to being an outlaw in Israel. And so he's on the run, but particularly in chapter 3, this is a, like, it's already difficult, right? But in chapter 23 here, we have an especially discouraging time in David's life, because if you remember, I know this was a few weeks ago with the hurricane, Labor Day, and, and, and so on, but if you remember from a few weeks ago, uh, David and his men had heard that this town Keilah, which is what they were in, where they were, where we read the beginning of this passage, uh, they had heard that this, this town Keilah was being attacked by the Philistines. And so even though they were outlaws running for their life, David said, 
you know what? I think the Lord wants us to go and rescue Kela from the Philistines who are attacking them. And so that's what they do. They go and they rescue Kela. They're the heroes of the town, you know? Uh, it, it, it sounds like every, uh, every old cowboy western movie where, where the hero outlaw would come into the town and rescue the poor villagers from whatever threat was facing them, and then they were celebrated as a hero, right? Well, that's essentially what was happening here. But then, as David is in Kela, uh, Saul finds out that David and his men are there. And so Saul goes, whenever David gets word, hey, Saul's found out where you are again. He's coming after you. Uh, he inquires of the Lord, and he says, if, uh, if Saul comes, is he going to attack the town? And then is the town going to give him up to me? And God tells him, yes, so David needs to run. Now, just think of how discouraging that is. David just swooped in at no benefit to himself, right? And in the extremely weak state he was already in, David just swooped in to rescue them, and they are immediately going to turn around and, and stab him in the back. Then he goes, and after what we just read here, what Matt preached on last week, was how they were once again hiding in another place in Israel, and people from that region found out that David was there. And so then they went and told Saul, hey, David is hiding out you know, in our town or in our, in our county parish, and if you come over, we'll, we'll give him up to you. We'll help you capture him. And so Saul goes over and attacks him there. And so everywhere David goes, it's not just that he's on the run from Saul, but he's even being uh, betrayed, and he cannot depend on his very own people, his brothers and, and neighbors in Israel. And so this is an incredibly discouraging time in David's life. And so in the midst of all this, we have this little, uh, th- this very little episode here right in the middle of the chapter where he gets an encouraging visit from a friend. Right? There might not be anyone in Israel who loves David, but Jonathan does. Jonathan still loves him. Jonathan is still faithful to the covenant with him. And so we have this little, this little moment here where we get this very intimate picture um, of the friendship between David and Jonathan. And so what I want to talk about today is just look at that friendship between them and talk about what Christian friendship means. And so that's our topic for today is looking at Christian friendship and we're going to have four points on friendship. So I'm just going to work through these as we go. Four points on friendship. So we're going to start off with that first point on friendship. So as I said before, Saul is pursuing David with all of his might. He obviously has a pretty wide network of espionage because he keeps having people coming and giving him reports of where David happens to be, where he's hiding, and so on. Um, he he also has, like, like I said before, uh, the people, just the citizens of different towns and places coming to him to give him reports of where David is. So Saul is employing all of his resources, doing everything with his might to go and get David, right? He is just, he is breathing malicious homicidal intent, right? He wants David dead. And here, and you have Jonathan, who is the son of Saul. Jonathan, who is the son of the king, second in terms of the line for the throne, uh, and who is still, though there's been some distance made between him and Saul over his friendship with David, he is still a general in Saul's army. And, and, and as you can see later in the narrative, he still goes to war with Saul on behalf of Israel. You have Jonathan here who, in the midst of all this, right, decides to go and visit David. So I think we need to recognize that context, and we need, to, we need to look at that situation very realistically, put ourselves into Jonathan's shoes, and recognize this, the enormous risk that Jonathan was taking by going out to meet David in the wilderness just to give him an encouraging word. 
just to be there for his friend. It was an enormous risk and potential cost that Jonathan was taking on himself whenever he went to go and see his friend that he knew was in need, that needed to see his face and hear, hear his words, right? But in spite of the risk, in spite of the enormous cost that, it might, come, that, that might come to him for it, he does it anyway. Why? Because that is what friendship requires. And so this is the first point, that friendship is sacrificial dedication. Friendship is sacrificial dedication. The risk and the cost were not enough to hold Jonathan back when his friend needed him. Instead, he, he recognized all that, but he decided to go instead. I love what, one of, what it, uh, there's a Puritan uh, pastor and commentator named Matthew Henry, probably one of the most famous Puritans other than like Jonathan Edwards, right? I'm sure many of you guys have heard of Matthew Henry. And he said, he said this about friendship and about this point here of Jonathan recognizing the cost but still going anyway. Matthew Henry said, True friendship will not shrink from danger but can easily venture. Will not shrink from condescension but can easily stoop and exchange a palace for a wood to serve a friend. That's exactly what Jonathan did here, right? The son of the king, second in line, right, exchanges palace for what, what he says here, by what he means the wilderness, exchanges the palace for the wilderness, right, to go out. Doesn't remain in his high position, but condescends down to the position of an outlaw where his friend is, right? Doesn't shrink away from the danger, but ventures to go and help David. This is the kind of friends, uh, friendship that Jonathan and David have between one another, and it is a, an attribute that should mark every friendship, and especially every Christian friendship. So here's what this means for us. If sacrificial dedication is an essential attribute of friendship, then what we must do is embrace that cost of friendship. Let me encourage you guys to embrace the cost of friendship, because as I was thinking about this, I was reflecting and thinking about how I believe that one of the things that often holds back uh, often holds many of us back from developing deep, true friendships is that we are not willing to take on the cost of friendship. I know just from my years of being a pastor and, and, and pastoring this church, pastoring you, talking with you and, and, and different people about their struggles, that many of us, whenever we struggle with friendship, is because I think beneath the surface, we don't want to take on that sacrificial dedication we don't want to take on that potential cost that comes with developing a deep friendship. Because you know what? They don't come free. The best friendships, and, and, and think back over whether you're in some right now or whether you can think to your past. The best friendships that we experience in our life are not the ones that were always the easiest to come by. And they're not the ones that, are, that were always absolutely smooth or conflict-free or easy to maintain. Sometimes they took a little bit of work. Sometimes they took some sacrifice. Sometimes they took maybe not conflict between the two of you, but, but, but you guys going through something hard together. And then that pushing you closer to one another. As you sacrificed to help one another uh, make it through that difficult time, right? Your dedication grew stronger. This is true for all of the best friendships. They require some cost. They require some sacrificial dedication. And so I think that there's a lot of us who are being held back from potentially 
wonderful, life-giving friendships in this church and maybe even some other people that God has put into your life simply because we're not willing to take on the potential cost. Even the simple potential cost of, you know what, sometimes you have to, you have to give up some time for your friends. Sometimes you have, to put, you, you have to be interested in things that don't interest you quite as much, but your friend is really interested in. So on their behalf and for their sake, you've got to be interested in it, right? If, if you want to develop a truly deep friendship, you're going to have to accept that, that that friendship is not always going to revolve primarily around your preferences and what is convenient to you. But out of love, you allow it to revolve on them as well. Right? Their preferences sometimes, their, their schedules, needs, what is convenient for them, and so on. Only the best friendships are made by sacrificial dedication. What does that look like? Sacrificial dedication looks like taking the initiative to fellowship. Like I said before, these are one of the costs that I think many of us often are being held back from friendship because we simply won't do this part. Taking the initiative to fellowship. It means being the one to reach out. So many of you guys have just been sitting around waiting for friends or deep relationships in this church, and the only thing that's been stopping you is because you've been sitting back waiting for someone to reach out to you. Here's the thing. You take the initiative. You reach out to someone else. Reach out to them. Take the initiative to to get coffee, to go to a movie, to work out together, to, uh, to play What's that game all you guys are into? Pickle, uh, pickle, court, uh, spike, spike pickle, right? Yeah, I know what it is. You know, to play your silly games together, right? Um, that, that no one else will possibly play with you, and so they say yes, so there's your friends, right? Um, or, or, your, or your nerdy card games or whatever else it is. Like, right, take the initiative and see how it goes. Maybe it goes well. And so take the initiative again, right? And do that a few times. And, and after a while, they might start to take the initiative in return, right? And then whenever that starts to happen, that's when you have a great friendship being formed. If that doesn't start to happen, if, 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 it's, if that initiative is never, never comes in return, well, then maybe it's somebody who isn't going to become the best of friends, right? And in that case, you can then move on to someone else, okay? Because you need that, that um, reciprocal initiative taking, right? An interest in spending time with one another, right? So you need that. So be the first. What does sacrificial dedication look like? Like I said before, it means taking interest in what might not interest you in the moment. Here's one of the things, you know, um, in the life of being a church planner, it's not always easy to develop deep friendships, and I can say how there are people here who, who are here today that I count as some of the absolute best friends I've ever had in my life, but it wasn't always that way. We had to build that friendship. There wasn't the immediate connection, right? And so what, what you have to do at a certain time, point in your life if you are not surrounded by people where there's just that immediate connection, right, or you're, you're, you're at the exact same place in life or whatever, it, or you have tons of things uh, in common interest with one another, what do you have to do? You have to make the decision of, well, if I'm going to be friends with this person, I'm going to make their interest my interest. I'm, and it, maybe even sometimes it's someone that isn't going to be a best friend. And so just for the sake of being a friend to them in that conversation, whatever it is they're talking about, it doesn't matter if you do not, do not care at all. But during that conversation, it is going to be your interest too. That's sacrificial dedication. 
Here's a big one. Dependability when needed. Dependability when needed. The best of friends are the kind of people who are always there, and they're always on time. They're always there, and they're always on time. They can be depended upon. You never have to wonder, is so-and-so going to show up? You know, oh, you know how they are. Like, maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe they'll be here an hour late. The best of friends are on time all the time. They're always there. Because you know what that thing does? You know what that does? Just that very small, simple step of, of consistency shows to the people around you that this is a safe relationship. It's a stable relationship. And a stable thing is something that you can depend on. And so whenever you do the very simple thing of just being dependable, holding to your word, doing the things that you say you'll do or not doing the things you say you won't do, showing up whenever you say you're going to show up and showing up on time, you know what that, it, it, it creates the stability wherein vulnerability can be expressed, right? People can open up because they, can, they know they can trust in you. And because they know that, if, that, that one day I might really need this person, whether it is in a situation that I'm in or something I need to share with them, and they've proven to me how dependable they are just through the stability of this relationship, and so you'll be able to do that. And that's where a deep friendship is formed. Friendship is sacrificial dedication. And we see that in Jonathan's riskiness, going to meet David. Let's look at the second point. The second point, like I said before, this, this little episode here, in the midst of this incredibly challenging time in David's life, and this especially discouraging point right here that he's at in chapter 23, it shows us that friendship is encouragement in God. Friendship is encouragement in God. It's important for us to note how Jonathan encourages David. We see that really in verses uh, 16 through 18, but it's really important for us to see this. How does Jonathan go and encourage his friend? Well, before we look at that, let, let's think about this. What does it mean to encourage somebody? You know, in, in just our common use of the term that we have today, it means to support someone. It means to uh, give them some, some positive words, maybe, right? So some words of affirmation to help build them up and so on. But, you know, that's basically the way we use it. It means to support someone. But here's the thing. The word encourage if you look at the history of the word, the word encourage is the combination of two French words come together. There's this old, uh, in old French, I think it dates back to the 14th century or so, was the word courage. The word courage uh, does not mean courage. It means heart. Coming from the Latin root, cor, which means heart. So from this old French word, we have the, the, the word courage, which means heart, but then can also be used for courage. And then you have the N, E-N, put on the front of it, which in French means N-I-N. Or it means in the, the, the idea of N in French is to put in, right? And so when you put N and courage together, you have the idea of to put into the heart, so to strengthen one's heart by, by putting into it, by strength, by supporting the heart, right? And so we can see that here. I think, I think that's illuminating for us as we ask, how does Jonathan encourage David? When we look and ask, what does he put into his heart? David's weak right now. He's discouraged, right? He, he, his, his heart is empty, right? What does Jonathan come and put into his heart? He does this. In verse 16, it tells us he encourages his faith in God. 
He encourages his faith in God, and he reminds him of God's promise to him. He says, don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel. No, this is not Jonathan just uh, talking in in, in empty, positive speech. Okay, this is him. If you are are familiar with the story of David or if you've been with us for a while, this is him reminding uh, God's will, which was expressed over David's life to give David the kingdom. Right. This was confirmed and spoken through the prophet Samuel. And so this was this was known that David was being given the kingdom by God. And so whenever Jonathan tells him that he is reminding him of God's promises to him. So in other words, whenever Jonathan comes to David. He doesn't even come to him and encourage him or so much so with, with, with his own dependability, right? He shows that just by being there for him. But whenever he comes to him, what he decides to do with his words is to encourage him in God's dependability. He decides to encourage him in, 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 uh, in God's word more than even his own words to him. That's all he's doing. He's reminding him. He's saying, remember what God has said. And remember that what God has said he will do. So no matter what it looks like right now, my friend, right? He says, my father will not lay a hand on you. He said, Saul is not going to get you because we know that God's word is true. You see, that is how he encourages his friend. That's what he is putting into David's heart, encouragement in God, right? A reminder of the promises of God. And then on top of this, it says in verse 18 that they renew their covenant, and it says, in the Lord's presence. Jonathan acts almost like a priest in this moment, bringing his discouraged, broken down, empty friend into God's presence with him so that he, his heart might be filled. This is what Christian friends do. They encourage one another in God. Let me encourage you. Be a friend who strengthens the heart. Be a friend who strengthens the heart. Sometimes we talk about this in terms of, uh, you know, be a life-giving person. You know, I kind of like that term. I kind of don't. But, but, I, but I think it applies here. Jonathan was being a life-giving person in this passage. Are you that kind of person to the friends around you? Or are you a life-draining person? Do you seek to strengthen your friends' hearts, to be an encourager to them, to, to remind them of God's promises, and to do all that you can to bring them into God's presence? Remind them of God's presence and, and his, his hand on, on their life, right? To remind them of Christ's love displayed for us on the cross and, and, and so God's dedicated love to us. Are you the kind of friend who strengthens the heart, reminding them, reminding your friends of God's word and dependability? Notice that Jonathan doesn't come to David and say, bro, you got this. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He says, God's got it. He said, remember, and if God's got it, then you can make it. He comes to him, and he strengthens his heart in the Lord so that his hands might do the work that he needs to do. He points him to the Lord, which is where the the warrior's heart is strengthened. Think about it this way. What fuel does the courageous heart need in order to run? If you want to make sure that anything runs well, whether it's an engine your body, whatever else. If you want to make sure that anything runs well, you need to make sure that you're putting the right fuel into it, right? If you want, uh, 
if I remember my uh, natural science from elementary school, right? If you want a plant to grow, then you need the chlorophyll to receive sunshine, right? Sunshine, water, and soil, aren't they the main ingredients? If you want your car to run, you need to put the right gas in it. And if you want your body to run well, you need to put the right fuel into it as well, right? We always take this into consideration in life. So what do we need for our heart to run well? What does the warrior's heart, if you're going to be a soldier of Christ, what does the warrior's heart need to run well? Encouragement in God. So friendship is sacrificial dedication. It is encouragement in God. Then we come to the third point. Before I share, I want us to just really look at something. Jonathan says something in this passage that is mind-blowing. He says something that is mind-blowing and profound, but it would be very easy for us to just skip over it, to miss it. Here's what he says that is so mind-blowing. He says to David, he says, uh, you yourself will be king over Israel, and I'll be your second in command. That is mind-blowing. Why? Well, think of, think of who Jonathan is, what, what I've already talked about. Jonathan, should he's already second in line for the throne. In, in terms of worldly standards, the throne should be his. Right, He should rule, and, and David should be his second-in-command if he chooses to make David his second-in-command once he is the king. Right, the, the throne should rightly be his. But because of God's word and because of God placing his kingdom onto David and Jonathan obeying that word, instead, here's what he says. He says, you are going to rule, and I will gladly submit to your rule. That is incredible. That is an incredible statement for somebody who is the prince who should receive the throne. I, I, I tell you, you will not find a statement like that in any, not just any other religion, but any other piece of literature in the world that the prince and heir of the throne would gladly hand it over to someone else and say that he will be his second. But Jonathan says it here in First Samuel. And once again, how? Because he is obedient to God's command. He's obedient to God's command. And, if, and what does that look like for our friendships? Whenever we are obedient to God's command for us, right? Because none of us are heirs to thrones here. But what does it mean for us? It means this. It means that friendship is lifting up others above ourselves. Friendship is lifting up others above ourselves. Listen to some of the things that Paul said in the New Testament. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Lifting up others above yourself, considering them more important than yourselves. In Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, he said, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Doesn't that sound as though, I mean, he could be, he could have Jonathan in his mind describing Jonathan in those verses, saying, now we who are weak are, are obligated to bear the weaknesses of those who do not have strength. That is what Jonathan is doing here. Jonathan is the strong one the, in, the, the, in the position of strength, in the position of power, who, because of his obedience to God, is obligated to take on the weakness of his friend who is without strength, David. And what does he do whenever he comes to him? He doesn't, uh, he doesn't count his own uh, pleasing as something to pursue, but instead he builds him up. 
Are you that kind of a friend to the friends around you, to the community around you? Or do you instead see the people and the friends, the community around you, as something that serves to build you up? So often, because we are, we are self-centered and sinful people, right? And, and, and maybe being sanctified by the Holy Spirit if we are in a relationship with Christ, but as we still wrestle with that sin, it is so easy to turn the people around us into props who are there just to lift us up. Right? As stools to give us a little bit of a step up. You know, married people, 10 times out of 10, this is the cause of conflict in your marriage. Most likely, you are using your spouse as a prop to lift you up. Maybe not. Maybe it's your spouse the one doing it in the moment. And so you, as a good friend, should encourage them in God and say, hey, I, I think that I don't think this is coming from the spirit. I think this is coming from the flesh, right? Gently, right? Lovingly point that out in each other. That, that's, the, that's the cause of 10 out of 10 conflicts in your marriage. That you do not see yourself as one who has been covenantally uh, committed to that man or, or, or woman in order to build them up. And instead, you're trying to use them to build yourself up. And, and then in our friendships, so often we, we can fall into the same thing. But instead, in Christian friendships, because we are obedient to God's word, and because we want to follow after the example of Christ, right, which is what Paul was talking about in Philippians 2 and Romans 15, he's talking about because Christ gave himself up on the cross to lift us up, so we should also do the same thing for our friends and for our community and for our, for our neighbors. Are you doing that for, your, for the friends around you? Let me tell you what. If you do, and if you, if you start doing that, you're going to become the kind of friend that they remember for the rest of their life. I've been blessed to have some friends like that. And they've made a mark on me for the rest of my life. You can be that kind of a person too. Stop trying to be the hero and start being the Obi-Wan Kenobi who trains the hero, who supports him, right? But what does this mean for the people that we associate ourselves with. So far, I've talked about the kind of friends you need to be. But I think here, if I can just make one extra little point, this sheds some light on the kind of friends that we ought to allow. Be discerning in the friends you choose. Do they seek the best for you? Do you mutually, reciprocally, if I said that right, seek the best for one another? Do they seek the best for you? Do they encourage you in God, or do they try to encourage you in your own strength? Or do they desire to sabotage your growth and goodness, your growth in Christ, to justify their own misery? So be discerning in the kind of friends that you choose as you also strive to be the absolute kind of friend that you want to be. Look at the kind of friends that you choose. Do not allow those who would derail or sabotage your growth in Christ to have intimate fellowship with you. Okay, I'm not saying, I think it's selfish to say, uh, in most circumstances, I think in most circumstances, I think it's selfish to say, well, I'm just going to push these people out of my life. Okay, I'm not saying, there's some very, there's some very extreme circumstances where a good pastor or counselor friend will tell you that someone needs to be out of your life. Okay, so I'm not talking about that, abusive relationships. Okay, but I'm talking about, (laughs) 
in everything outside of that, I think it's selfish to just say, well, if they don't want the best for me, then they have nothing to do with me, right? Because you might still be an instrument of the Holy Spirit for their good. But I'm talking about in terms of those intimate friendships, right? Your, your BFFs, your best friends, the people that you really allow to have a, a, a shape, a shaping on your life and a forming on your life, you better make sure that they are the kind of people who desire your absolute best, the best for you, the best for you to become the, 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 as close and, as, and, and look as much like Christ as you can, right? Those are the kind of people that you want to make sure that you, that you have in your closest circle because there are many people out there who are weak, who are miserable, and they're going to try to tear you down. Maybe not even intentionally. They may not be consciously thinking about it. But they will do subtle things, maybe just trying to, maybe through very negative words and statements about your dreams and aspirations and about your ambitions for how you can grow and the things that you can do. They'll make cutting statements, right? Because they are, they are jealous about the optimism they see in you. Or maybe the calling that you feel in your life, they're jealous of that because they know of how they have failed. And so they'll, they'll cut at that a little bit to try to hold you back, to keep you down right, in the filth where they are. Make sure that your closest friends are the kind of people who are like Jonathan's, right, and who desire the best for you as you are desiring the best for them. So friendship is sacrificial dedication. It is encouragement in God. It is lifting up others above ourselves. Lastly, this isn't so much a point, an attribute of friendship, but still a point about friendship. Friendship is necessary in the wilderness. That's that one of the primary things we see here. Friendship is necessary in the wilderness. David, we got to remember when we read these stories, he was a man, and he, he could get discouraged. He could be tempted to quit. Despite all the success he had already had, despite the victories in battle he had won, despite the, the prophecies of Samuel over his life uh, and God's will being revealed, despite all those things, he could still get discouraged. He still, we don't know why God put Jonathan in his life here, right here in this moment. We don't know why, but Dave, we, we can, we can uh, at least consider the possibility David might have been right on the verge of quitting here. But God sends Jonathan, gives him this encouragement, and he continues on. Friends, as we go through wilderness seasons in our life, some of you are going through wilderness seasons in your life right now. They're difficult, and some of you might be where David is, hiding out in your 15th cave, right, just trying to survive, and you're right on the verge of quitting. Here's the thing. You better not be alone. Friendships are necessary in the wilderness. In the Christian, I know I've said this many times before, but in the Christian life, there's no such thing as a lone ranger. In the Christian life, we understand that a lone ranger is a dead ranger. You better have some friendships around you. Friendships are necessary in the wilderness. Even if you are not going through a wilderness season in your life right now, there's one coming. You're going to go through one. We all know this, right? So you better have some friendships now for whenever you do go through it. And moreover, if we just speak corporately in terms of being a Christian in 21st century America today, I think it is not an exaggeration to say that we as a church are in a wilderness season in our society and culture today. As we are, 
where we maybe in generations past and, and decades before where Christians and the church once occupied a very majority part of the culture, we're now being pushed to the margins. Hear me, that's not necessarily a bad thing. So don't get discouraged. It might be a good thing. But as we're pushed to the margins, those friendships are going to be all the more necessary. Friendship is necessary in the wilderness. You need friends in the wilderness who come to you and prepare your hands for action. This kind of covenantal friendship that we see here in David and Jonathan, it cannot be broken by human barriers. And that's the kind of thing that we need as we go through our own individual wilderness seasons and as we go through them together as a church. So let me leave you with this. Surround yourself with fellow warriors for God. Surround yourself with fellow warriors for God so that in the day of trouble, you'll be able to band together like a band of brothers, band of sisters, right, and obey whatever calling God has placed in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you now and we, we recognize how often it is our own sinful and self-centered hearts that prevent us from experiencing this, this blessing of Christian friendship that we see here um, presented to us in the relationship between David and Jonathan. We recognize that the sacrificial dedication between the two of them and the, the encouragement, um, the lifting up one another, Lord, how, how they were just doing what Christ was going to do for us one day how Christ was sacrificially dedicated to us, how he did not seek his own pleasure, but instead he sought to lift us up. Lord, how he was strong, but he took on the obligation to, uh, to enter into the weakness of those who do not have strength. Lord, how, how through his, uh, his sacrifice, though he took, in, in spite of the cost that he had to take upon himself, Lord, he did it so that we might be considered not just his servants, but also his friends. Lord, in those same attributes we see in David and Jonathan, and we want to see in our own lives. So I ask that the sins that hold us back would be revealed in our hearts and that the Holy Spirit would help us to kill those sins, to become the kind of friends who are willing to be uh, sacrificially dedicated to one another, to lift up each other and, and desire the absolute best for one another, to encourage each other, and to be there for each other in the wilderness. <clears throat> Lord, let the friendships that we have in this church be something that, uh, that strengthens and unifies the body here, because we know that as the body of a local congregation is, it grows in unity and it grows in strength, Lord, that it, is, uh, it becomes more and more equipped to do the ministry that you have given it to do. Lord, to, dis- to display your glory, to proclaim your gospel. Father, might the friendships that we have here become a mechanism to accomplish those things. We pray this all in the name of our most wonderful and precious friend, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.